You may have heard of Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, that looks at how millions of African Americans are incarcerated and relegated to a permanent second-class status despite the changes fought for in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Now Alexander has written the foreword to a new book that has just been published by the New Press that critically investigates some of the so-called reforms to the criminal justice system that have been enacted in recent years. As calls to address this racist system have grown, reforms such as uh, electronic monitors. The book is titled Prison by Any Other Name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms, and it is written by Maya Shinwar and Victoria Law. You can read a a review in our most recent issue, also uh, online at independent.org. Victoria Law is also the author of Resistance Behind Bars, The Struggles of Incarcerated Women, and a freelance journalist covering issues of incarceration. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. Sure. So your book is a, is a great read in part because it includes many examples and accounts of people you spoke with. In your introduction, you described the ordeal uh, of one of your interviewees, Colette Payne. Can you start by describing what happened to her? Sure. So Colette Payne is a black mother living in Chicago, and for over a decade she had struggled with a heroin addiction, and it was a struggle that led her from the streets to jail, sometimes to prison. Uh, She would get out. uh, The cycle would start again. And uh, at one point, she was in Chicago's Cook County Jail, which is notoriously overcrowded. It is uh, cramped. It is violent. It is loud. It is dirty. Uh, breakfast is served at 3.30 in the morning. There is very little uh, treatment or rehabilitation. It basically is warehousing people. Um, and she was offered the opportunity to be out of jail on electronic monitoring, which for your listeners who don't know, electronic monitoring is a uh, electrical device, usually a GPS device, shackled to your ankle, um, and it tracks your every move so that that way uh, the probation office or the electronic monitoring company, depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, can see where you are. And you are limited to your house and perhaps a few feet outside of your house without any sort of prior approval. Uh, So that means you cannot go to the store unless you ask for permission first. You cannot take your children to school. Uh, You cannot go to work. And in Colette's case, she could not go out and seek drug treatment. Uh, Electronic monitoring actually prevented her from seeking help to treat the cause of her addiction and the cause of her cycling in and out of jail and prison. And what we know... Mm-hmm. It oh, sounds like ahead. a classic uh, catch-22. Yes, yes. And we know that strong relationships are among the most significant motivations for people to curb their drug misuse. But with electronic monitoring, Colette couldn't attend family gatherings. She couldn't bring her children to school. She couldn't even take her children to the store. She couldn't take them to the playground. So it took away her opportunity to be a contributing member of her family and of her larger community and instead just fuck her in the house with her own thoughts and her own demons. And eventually she ended up relapsing and then she was arrested and sent back to jail and eventually sent back to prison. So what electronic monitoring did was it allowed her to spend 
a very restricted amount of time with her children, but ultimately didn't solve any of the underlying issues and didn't stop the cycle of addiction, arrest, and incarceration from happening. Right. And a question you pose in the book is, uh, when evaluating whether reforms are helpful or harmful, a key question should always be, are these reforms building up structures that we still need to dismantle in the future? Can you talk about this as a way to evaluate proposed reforms? Sure. So electronic monitoring has been proposed as a type of reform to reduce incarceration in physical jails and prisons and immigrant detention centers. So instead of locking people up in physical buildings, ripping them away from their families and communities, electronic monitoring has been proposed as a reform to keep people in their homes and in their communities. But it's a reform that turns a person's home into their jail or their prison and doesn't allow them to leave. And it definitely doesn't address the underlying causes. So when we're thinking about whether reforms are helpful or harmful, harmful, we can think about what uh, carceral geographer Ruth Wilson Gilmore says is we should be thinking about non-reformist reforms, or are these going to be reforms that ultimately shrink the prison system and meet people's actual needs for food, housing, uh, safety, security, uh, you know, like things like on Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, you know, like uh, fulfillment. Or are these reforms, like electronic monitoring, that basically expands the system of surveillance and control from one set of physical cages into our homes, our schools, our institutions, and our communities? And so when we're thinking about proposed reforms to policing or to imprisonment, we should ask, is this a reform that actually helps people or is it a reform that is ultimately going to have to also be fought and torn down later on. So electronic monitoring is seen as a gentler type of incarceration. Most people would rather be at home than in a coronavirus-filled jail cell or an overcrowded prison cell or prison dorm. Uh, They would rather be with their children than not with their children. But it's not actually a change that addresses any of their actual needs, and it doesn't address any of their family or community's needs either. Right. And and, and in your book, another uh, problematic uh, reform you highlight is uh, mass probation, uh, which uh, also Mm -hmm. uh, trips a lot of people up. Uh, Can you talk about that Mm -hmm. just for a moment? And then I want to get to a Mm -hmm. couple other questions before we have to wrap up. Uh, There are currently 3.6 million people on probation. Probation is often used as an alternative to incarceration. So you can be sentenced to prison or you can be sentenced to probation. In the federal prison system, it's also used as an additional punishment after somebody is released from prison. Um, But it is also a driver back to incarceration or to incarceration. So 15% of the prison population had previously been on probation before their incarceration because they're like electronic monitoring. There are lots of restrictions and there are lots of ways you can end up violating probation, not because you did something that broke the law or harmed somebody, but for things like missing an appointment with your probation officer, coming home past a curfew that is kind of ridiculous, like a 9 p.m. curfew, Um, you know, Mm. 
failing a failing a urine test, uh, you know, like not not being able to like hold a job. So there are things that are not violations of the law. They don't harm anybody if you right. They're just violations of your probation. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then is a driver to jails and prisons for very minor acts that are not harmful or illegal otherwise. Okay, and we just have about 30 seconds here, but uh, Mm -hmm. toward the end of the the book, you you talk about uh, abolition and what a Mm -hmm. slow build uh, toward that would be. Obviously, it's not something that can happen overnight, but... Your quick thoughts on on why abolition uh, should be of prison should be the end goal here? Well, we practice abolition in our everyday lives. We actually don't call the police when our loved ones harm us or do something bad to us, like you know, like you know, like steal your, you know, like if my daughter took my earrings and lost them, I don't call the police on her. I talk to her about this. If your partner borrows your laptop and, you know, drops it in a puddle, you don't call the police on her to, you know, to have her arrested. You talk. So there are many ways in which we practice abolition in our everyday lives. And I think that that is one of the things that we need to remember is that we don't need to be calling for police and prisons and these types of coercive control in order to stay safe, we can actually envision other ways in which we keep each other safe. And there's a quote by Ruth Wilson Gilmore that I want to end with, where we should talk about abolition, not as an adventure, but as already accumulated encounters, awarenesses, and activities. Okay. Victoria Law, thank you for joining us uh, this evening on WBI, co-author of Prison by... Any other name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms, uh, which has a glowing uh, forward from Michelle Alexander.